0: Hello and welcome to Virtual Roundtables Live, the broadcast that brings business leaders together to discuss and debate the latest industry topics and trends. Now over to today's host. It's great to be here. Um, you know, we do many of these um, conferences and we we like to learn from, from the attendees as, as we, we discussed at dinner last night. So, um, very happy to be here and happy to talk to you. And I won't, I won't take too much of your time, but I do just want to talk a little bit around what we're seeing from kind of an industry trend perspective, um, from a network network sense, but also from a security sense, and how those two are beginning to work um, ever more closely together um, to enable organisations to stay safe and to deliver this this uh, this breach defence. Um, statement that that I make on the screen here so um, veterans of this of this conference will know I never like to turn up without an injury I'm not wearing a sling today um, which is great I do have some scratches across my nose that is not because our lively discussion at dinner last night got out of hand Um, it was some slightly over boisterous playing with my with my daughter over the weekend so uh, just to clear that up in case anyone thought I'd been in a scuffle which I haven't um but first of all, at Cisco, we always like to talk about network transformation, right digital transformation, um, decentralization and that kind of paradigm shift away from um, the traditional model of how IT was built right so you had a, you had a hard perimeter, where all your critical infrastructure, your business applications, all your people sat behind that that hard edge um, and did all their work from there, and when they left the office, they left the office, and that that was that. They didn't didn't continue to work, continue to access business systems or applications until the next time they were back in the office and behind that perimeter, which was great for a lot of reasons, right? It was pretty easy to secure, um, pretty simple and easy to get visibility over what your users were doing, right, when they sat behind that hard perimeter. But as we know, the kind of paradigm has shifted now to... um, towards, not for all organisations, and there were some gentlemen I was talking to at dinner last night that that still have that hard perimeter and and sing the praises of it in a lot of ways, right? But from a business enablement perspective, we've seen the shift to network decentralisation, to infrastructure and applications, data, users moving to the cloud, um, networks transforming, adopting uh, things like SD-WAN or direct to internet access in the branch, uh, and of a mobile workforce, like we've, we've, we've seen stats and we've put stats up on this screen in, in days gone by of, you know, now over 50% of the workforce are mobile or do some sort of um, work from, in a mobile sense, right? Whether that's um, just working from home or whether it's working from an airport, um, on a laptop, on a mobile phone, connecting to those those critical business applications. And this is great because it's enabled businesses and, and employees to um, become more productive uh, in a lot of ways, um, but it has created uh, a number of challenges, which I'll come on to shortly. We've also seen on the right-hand side there, particularly as five G, um, it, it will be rolled out. You know, we're seeing an increase in, in encrypted traffic and challenges around how to secure that. Right, and attackers are not, are not sitting kind of idly by. Um, and here's a real kind of simple slide right? Um, but this is what the data tells us, that obviously the internet is the number one source of attacks that we're seeing, email is the number one attack vector, and the endpoint is the number one target for attacks. And that endpoint thing, I think, is, is a part of that transition um, to, to remote workforce, because if you're not controlling what what's going on on that device and what that device is accessing when it's off the network, it incre- significantly increases that chance of compromise. And if that Endpoint can then be brought back onto the network, which often they are, as we see. Um, you know, that those infections uh, can spread. Um, so um, what we've done in the past, um, and uh, try to take a step back, There's a, the, I read an estimate the other day that said that the, the estimation of cybercrime damages or the kind of um, the measurable impact of cybercrime globally on organisations is estimated in 2021 to be $6 trillion, um, which is quite some business, right? And we know that the the attackers, it is it, uh, um, it is basically a job for them, right? It's an income stream. That's what they're there to do. They're there to extort. They're there to, um, to drive revenue streams from the malicious behaviours that they're enacting. So what we've traditionally done as an industry is... Thrown money at the problem, right? So we've bought a new tin or a new service to solve a new problem. Um, we've seen an, a huge um, growth in the number of security vendors out there, and the number of security vendors addressing supposedly different problems, right? So what, what we, when we talk to organizations, what we hear is that on average, they're managing 75 different security tools. Most of the time, that, most of those tools are delivered by, um, delivered by different vendors. Um, and they're not integrated, right? They're not talking to each other. So these are stats from talking to customers. 91% of our customers think that integration of their security tool sets is becoming a big challenge, right? And so just to kind of talk a little high level around those challenges that we're seeing. So with all those tool sets and with all those um, shiny new services and companies offering blocking, 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 we're still seeing malware and ransomware outbreaks in organisations, we're still seeing as those networks have decentralised and gone to to mobile mobile and direct internet access, we're seeing that create gaps in visibility and control uh, and coverage of the security tool sets that organisations have traditionally had in place. Um, And back to that point about the volume and complexity of security tools, Um, this is something we hear from from our customers all the time. Um, And to (coughs) exacerbate that fact is that there's a limitation on security resource. That not, I don't necessarily mean by that. There's a limitation of resource out in the in the marketplace or in the or in the workforce. Because I think a lot of people will argue that um, there's plenty of resource there. Right? It's about um, it's about having enough resource internally in house to to manage all those tool sets, manage all the alerting that organisations are getting from those tools. And what we see increasingly is. Um, a significant number of alerts go either completely un- unchecked or uh, unremediated. Um, so, creating a number of challenges for our organizations. And what, re- what really do kind of CISOs or SOC managers or the kind of key security personnel within organizations want to do, right? They, they want to improve their security posture, that, that's obvious, right? The more you block, the lower the chance of, of a breach or an outbreak taking place. But at the same time, you need to efficiently and effectively manage um, manage those risks, because as we all know, um, you know breach defence or blocking is um, you know you, you're, it's almost day by day um, day by day is is a win, right? If you don't get breached one day, it's a win. You know, the attackers only need to get lucky once. You, we as security organisations need to get lucky kind of every day. You know, to prevent that breach, you know, you can best practices, integration, um, you know, the best of breed tool security tool sets. But no one out there, unless they're kind of selling snake oil, is claiming 100% efficacy. And as we know, the, you know, the attackers are often one step ahead, right? So we do hear on top of that that um, organizations do want to consolidate down and manage less vendors, um, that may or may not be the case within your organisations, but we hear that as a general trend, um, that looks to consolidate that down. But the need to improve the cyber security capabilities of your organisation. Um, and another thing is, is time, right? So um need to shorten that time to investigate incidents, to remediate breaches, um, and, and basically drive efficiency and... Um, efficacy of, of, the, of the limited staff that you have within your organisations so ultimately security has to work together and there's a number of different kind of areas of um, different security tool sets or critical elements of a security posture on the right hand side now we know um, we know that tool sets go way 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 beyond that right so I think there's something like 300 categorizations now of security tools in the industry at RSA, which is the biggest security conference in the world last year, I think there were over 650 different vendors um, at, at, at that show um, kind of looking to sell their wares, right? So we know there's complexity in the market. We know there's a huge, huge range of tool sets on offer. Um, and it's, it's how do you kind of cut cut between the 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 chaff and the noise, if you will, to kind of maximise the efficiency of of your limited resource, but your limited budget, um, ultimately. So, kind of drilling down on that on that people point, right? This is just a question, general question for the room: How many people at your organisation are responsible for breach defence? So, this will change significantly due to the size of the organisation. We have, you know, when we talk to large enterprises or large public sector organisations, they. Their team's managing security and across these security areas. So, you know, CISO, network security, endpoint security, email security is a big one, Um, security architects, security operations, instant response. You know, sometimes these teams will be 200 people plus in very big and large organisations, but sometimes in an SME or a small public sector organisation, you know, it could just be one or two people, but they still have all these roles and responsibilities. Um, So back to breach defence. On the, back of, on the back of some of those challenges and complexities. I think this is a very simplistic definition of, of a breach. I don't know if anyone disagrees with this. This is what we, would, what we would call a breach, right? So an attacker gains access to a device or a data on your network. Um, and back to the point I was talking about a little earlier, is that breach defence is an ongoing, never-ending um, never-ending activity that we deliver within our organisations. And it's a minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour finish line. Every minute that goes by, every hour that goes by, that we're not breached, that's a win for us, right? But we know that the attackers only need to get lucky once to get through those defences. So what is breach defence? I mean, the simplistic answer to what is breach defence is breach defence is blocking, right? You've got all these security tool sets, you've got all these different services that say, we will help you block more. But how do you actually gain control... um, and visibility of, of breach defense above and beyond blocking and what does that mean so another couple of questions for the room how does your organization stop breach attempts today and when a critical security event happens you know how does your organization react so to briefly kind of simulate an incident and this is probably nothing new for you but it's just a quick bit of slideware, which I'm gonna go through real quickly Tuesday morning seven forty-three a.m. you wake up your CISO you have nine missed calls and 17 messages from a CEO who says, DNS, DNS spionage. You know, do we know about this? Are we good? Have we been impacted by this? You know, how, do we, how do we answer our CEO with 100% confidence on that question? So you go to your different organi- you know, elements within the organisation. You go to your CISO. You know, he or she talks down, goes to the network security, goes to the firewall, goes to the endpoint, goes to the email, goes to the security architect. Um, you know, and all, are these people talking to each other? And are these tool sets within the organisation talking to each other? Are they integrated? Can you can you can you bring up a, a challenge or a a threat such as DNS espionage, and get a integrated in, and quick answer across all your security platforms and security teams? on whether or not this is this has infected you, and whether or not um, you know how to remediate this attack. So what do we do? So we have blocking. And then, invariably, we go to Google. We go, what's DNS espionage? So, we go to Google. We Google DNS espionage. Find a blog post. This one just so happens to be a Cisco Talos blog post. But And I'll come on to Talos later if people don't, don't know what I mean by that. But, you know, so we need to study multiple blog posts. We need to, we need to read up a lot of information about what DNS espionage is. Um, there's a lot we need to know. Um, and maybe at the bottom of this blog post, you know, there's some threat intel around DNS espionage. So, some some threat hashes, some domains, you know, servers, command and control, callback servers it might be calling back to. Um, But then we go to our different consoles, right? So we go to our email console, we go to our um, firewall, we go to our endpoint, we go to our web gateway, um, anything else we might have within the organisation. And all these different consoles are going to have different opinions, right? And again, it comes back to that point. Are these teams able to talk to each other? And is the architecture able to talk to each other at the back end or the front end to actually understand... You know whether this threat is in the organisation, and if it is, whether it's spread, um, and how we remediate that. And when we talk to organisations about this, you know this is a this is a common problem, in terms of the time to remediate or the time to give the CISO or the CEO ultimately or whoever's asking the question, are we good with respect to this threat? You know how long does that actually take us to get to 100% confidence? And what we're told is that on average it takes 66 days to provide that certainty. Um, I don't know if this resonates in the room or if we think we get there quicker, Um, but this is what we're told in industry. So if we go back to that breach defence equals blocking, how do we actually add um, that confidence um, and certainty around where we are with respect to any given threat? And it's adding a couple of additional elements to that, um, to that workflow. So we have blocking. right? Blocking is very, very important. Blocking is the first line of defence ab- of any threat getting into the organisation. What we hear is that due to the lim- limitations in time and resource, you, you know, organisations say, give, give my team some time back. Time is critical. Help us work together faster. Um, expertise, right? Team members within security organisations can't be experts on every threat and every tool set. So how do you give us answers kind of at our fingertips that correlate across the across our security stack or across our network? And evidence, right? So what we hear a lot of the time is, you know, how certain are you that we, we've remediated this threat? And it's like, well, at this point in time, maybe I'm 50% certain. It's how do we get to 100% confidence? And I think there's a number of areas of what I kind of put here as industry musts that, that kind of Cisco look at as, areas we need to focus on um, in order to help our customers have that certainty, um, get that time back, maximise the efficiency of their teams and their tools, right? And, and number one is, is consolidation and integration of those tool sets. Right? So I, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but um, we, we hear regularly from organisations, and it maybe it's a little bit aspirational, but we hear from organisations that they want to reduce that 75, 80 you know, some of the, the very large, very mature organisations that we work with, global banks being an example, might have 200-plus security vendors, that they're just security vendors that they're managing in their network. So it's how do we consolidate that down? And we know there's an as, at least an aspirational view that we want to consolidate that down into... We hear 10, right? Like, we're not, we're not a Cisco standing up here and saying, just go Cisco, right? End-to-end architecture are going to be okay. Um, you know, defence in depth is important. But, you know, there's a saturation point where, um, you know, if you, if you look at a graph, and we talked about this last night, if you look at a graph where you put spend against risk, at first, you know, as you increase spend, risk is going down. But at a certain point, you can add a third line to that graph, which is complexity. And so when, that, when the complexity or when the spend and the different tool sets hits a certain point, complexity comes in and then begins to increase that risk again. So it's kind of a three... Double dip graph, if you will. Um, blocking and efficacy is, is important, right? You need to have tool sets that are identifying and blocking threats on the internet and not allowing your users to, to reach those, um, you know, to, to reach those. Whether it's a domain that they're calling out to, whether it's an email, whether it's a file on an email, whether it's a phishing link, etc., etc. You know, you need to have the right efficacy that's blocking your users as far as possible uh, in coming into contact and, and you know, beginning to um, become infected with with those threats, right? Um, Because we all know, and again, discussion point at dinner last night, that you can have all the best tool sets in the world, but we know that the human element will always be there, right? Um, And education of our people is very, very important. Um, from a security perspective as well. Automation also being key about how you take those, hopefully consolidated and integrated uh, security tools that you have and security teams that you have, give them the best blocking and efficacy through those tools. But then how do you automate action and remediation off the back of those tools? Um, So another kind of key, key pillar of what we're looking to do in the industry. And and the fourth one is collaboration. It's something I'm really keen to talk to you guys about, and I'm going to flip forward on a slide, because some people may be aware of the Cyber Threat Alliance. Um, Some people may not. Um, But it is a kind of not-for-profit organisation that was set up a few years ago. Cisco were actually a founding member um, of this organisation. And I think it, it, it got born out of this acceptance that, yeah, okay, so you can see the different vendors. Named at the bottom. So, yeah, we're vendors. Ultimately, what we want is, is revenue. Um, and, you know, we're competing with each other. But there was an acceptance that, you know, the other vendors are not the enemy. The enemy are the people that are out there trying to breach us, trying to breach our customers, trying to um, extort, you know, people from from the large organisations down to, down to the individuals at home, right? So the Cyber Threat Alliance was born out of that. Um, and it is basically... Um, an alliance where we share threat intel um, on, on threats and risks and, um, and attacks that are out there. And, th- and I'm quite proud to say Cisco is the largest contributor uh, to that alliance. Uh, I think we share about 30,000 different um, threat, um, threat intelligence every single day. So if it's something, not something you're aware of, it's, it's well worth a read. It's a really interesting um, organisation Driving that kind of collaboration within the security vendor marketplace. Um, and then coming on to Cisco Talos, which I mentioned earlier, um, again, it's another thing that we're quite proud of at Cisco. It's not a product, you'll be pleased to hear. It is the largest non governmental threat intelligence organization on the planet. So it has about 300 odd full time researchers. We analyze about one and a half million unique malware samples every day, and any given time on any day, we're blocking about 20 billion threats every day. Um, and that is more, more than 20 times any other vendor, so it's something that we're kind of quite proud of. As I say, it's a very, very large threat intelligence organisation. It's not a product. What it is is really threat intelligence that feeds at the back end in and out of all of Cisco's sort of integrated security security architecture. Um, and so it gives us kind of an unmatched visibility that allows our customers to to stop more, because um, to stop more, you have to see more, right? So you need that most diverse data set. You need those community partnerships that we've talked about. You need, you need proactivity in going back and finding and sharing problems. Um, so that organisation is analysing 2.2 trillion different artefacts a day across email, DNS, web requests, and everything else that you can see named there. Um, and that intelligence has to be actionable, is the, is the next point right so that intelligence is feeding in to cisco 's security architecture as, as most people are probably aware Cisco spent quite a lot of time and quite a lot of money trying to uh, establish itself as um, you know as, as, a, as a security vendor in the marketplace I think you know historically we 've been looked at as a, as a very good networking um, you know, collaboration telephony um, vendor, but we have built this um, through quite significant investment both in acquisition but also um, in engineering and development at the back end, Um, what is, I think, now regarded as the biggest um, security vendor in the world. So, And Talos and that actionable intelligence that comes out of Talos is a critical element to that and to that integration piece that I talked about earlier to give rapid coverage and analysis and context around the threats that we see out there and that we're blocking for our customers and collaborating with other security vendors on. Um, and how do we, coming back to um, the point of how we give customers evidence, time, um, and expertise, and this is the last thing I'm going to talk about from a Cisco perspective, but we, a few years ago we, we, we looked at our... Integrated security architecture, which at the back end was fully integrated, had Talos feeding in and out of it, and was providing excellent efficacy and blocking for our customers. But there was no front-end integration. And what we were hearing from customers was we need a single pane of glass where we can investigate, um, remediate, and and automate that remediation from the threats that we are seeing. And so we built something called Cisco Threat Response. Um, And if... There will be people out on our stand later, kind of demoing how, through that DNS espionage um, threat, uh, kind of attack that I talked through earlier, you know, demo how actually Cisco Threat Response can really help you um, in, in kind of unifying, detecting, remediating, and enforcing in a much quicker, much more integrated fashion. But fundamentally, um, Cisco Threat Response is free um, with. It requires investment in Cisco security tool sets, obviously. But what it does is it it gives you a single pane of glass to, to see how see whether or not a threat or any um, file or domain or any other kind of pot- potential indicator of compromise, whether or not it's been seen on the infrastructure, whether or not it's been blocked, and then take action from that tool set um, to enforce remediation. So what we've seen is it's with our customers that use it, and it's actually... Um, again it 's not a product it 's kind of free but it 's been the fastest uptake in cisco 's um, security portfolio history in terms of our customers that that are using this tool um, to achieve some of those critical elements of breach defense that we 've talked about so just a recap on the kind of capabilities of ctr it 's that single console for kind of repertory hours and response um, gives, you a, gives you a full picture. Um, of the threat landscape and the the impact on your organisation. You can create documentation out of the tool. It leverages multiple APIs for automation um, and it allows you to actually manage those incidents and take action from the tool itself across your Cisco security tool set. So a couple of quick quotes that we have from customers around the effectiveness of CTR. Um, Some of those things I've just talked about about how, you know, you can push actionable intelligence out enterprise-wise in seconds uh, and increase remediation time and investigation time. So, that's really where I was going to leave it, actually. Um, As I say, you know, there's a huge number of Cisco security tools that I I wasn't going to bore you with today, but we are kind of out on the stand outside um, if anyone would like to learn more about CTR. Um, or any of the tool sets that I have put up here um, on the last slide but that feed in and out of CTR and allow to give you that time, that um, efficacy um, and that evidence within your organisations about whether or not it's a threat that you're just worried about might have impacted you or whether you know that you've been impacted by a threat. Thanks for joining us this week on Virtual Roundtables Live. Make sure to visit our website www.virtualroundtables.com to learn more about upcoming webinars and events.